continuing in a series for the month of December called Good News. I, I, love, um, I love living in the city of Durban. I love so much uh, being able to live in a place where so many people enjoy coming uh, for the holidays. But it's, it's always been interesting to me. Um, this kind of relationship that we as Durbanites, I've lived here for six years now, so I'm going to go ahead and call myself a Durbanite. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Steph. She's been here her whole life, so if she accepts me, you all accept me. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting relationship that we as Durbanites sort of have with, with uh, the, the holiday season, right? Because uh, I, I meet two kinds of people when it comes to the holidays, and, and, and holiday makers in, in particular. There are the Durbanites who are always so pumped about the holidays. They're excited that it's happening uh, because they themselves enjoy the holidays, and uh, they love seeing, I, I don't know about you, I love seeing like people who are on holiday. Like they're so happy, right? You know, they've left the cares of uh, life and they've, they've come to, uh, but I can see it on some of your faces. You're the other kind of people. You love living in Durban, but man, those holiday makers, because none of them know how to drive. I don't think they have roundabouts in other places. Something's <laughs> like something's off. And on the one hand, we love like what holiday makers do for our local economy. And if you're a holiday maker and you're here with us this morning, we're so glad you're here. Um, no, we need them for our economy, right? A big part of our economy is built on, on the, these seasons. But, but there's some of us who uh, maybe we struggle a little bit. I always love the, uh, the Durbanites who are like, I don't even go to the mall during this time. And then you see them there because they still have to buy Christmas presents, right? Uh, it's, the thing about this time of the year for us is that it is significant for us as a city, for our economy, but it's also, it can be a strain on us. And, and it really is about how you roll into the holidays. I, I have to find myself uh, during this time of the year, like getting myself sort of psyched up for a, every drive, right? Because I, I, any of you do that? Like before I take off, I like gotta take a couple of breaths. Okay, everybody who's in my path today may not know about the roundabouts. They may not be accustomed to them. They may not know exactly where they're going. They're looking at the signs and trying to, I have to, you know, because I, I have to get ready to participate in what's going on around me. Nobody else but me. You're all good with it. You're not, I know you. I've talked with some of you about this, right? The thing about this time of year is you have to prepare your heart for it. You have to get ready for it. Take Durban out of the equation. If you're a parent or, or just a person in general, I know those of you who are in school, you, you have a lot of exams at the end of the year, and so you may be looking forward to the holidays, but to get to the holidays, you have to get through the exams, right? And so there's these mixed feelings towards coming to the end of the year. As, as those of you who, who are parents, or maybe you're responsible for gifts for people, and there's the wonderful parts of the holidays, but then there's also the stress and the pressure. So whether or not it's good news and whether or not this is a a good time of year or not really has to do with your perspective and how prepared you are to navigate it. Amen? In Luke chapter 2, verses 18, 8 through 14, we read this last Sunday, talks about the birth of Jesus. Famous passage of scripture. It says this, it says, 
and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that, you, that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, if you weren't with us last Sunday, you can always go to our website. You can download the podcast of the previous week's message. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to do that because we talked about we talked about that passage uh, in, in, in detail last week, and, and we talked about the fact that the angel brought this news that was good news, and this good news was meant for all people, but the reality was when Jesus was on the earth, everyone didn't receive him as if it was good news. Pastor, how do you know that? Well, I know that because they killed him. They killed him for the very message that he came to preach and to proclaim. More people rejected the message of Jesus in his day than received it. More people were offended by his gospel than were blessed by his gospel. Good news for everyone, and the gospel was meant to be good news for everyone. The birth of Jesus was meant to be good news for everyone. Good news for everyone isn't good news for anyone. You may say, wait a minute, that's confusing. Well, like I said last Sunday, most of us have a tendency to project ourselves as the good guys when we read scripture. We have, our, we have a tendency to project ourselves as the one in the story that would have received from Jesus, that would have loved Jesus, that would have appreciated what Jesus had to say. But, but the truth is, statistically speaking, all of us in this room can't be the good guys. Statistically speaking, all of us in this room wouldn't have been the ones who would have received from Jesus. Statistically speaking, there are many of us in this room who would have been offended by the message of Jesus. And although the angel said, this is good news for everyone, the good news was not received by everyone. In fact, there were plenty, there were many who said no. My perspective or willingness to receive the news will determine how good it is to me. When I get in my car and I drive to Gateway Mall over the next month, my perspective going into that drive, going into that time in Gateway Mall is going to determine whether or not it's good news to me that it's December and the holiday makers are here and our economy is going to get a boost and I'm going there to perhaps buy a most amazing gift for my incredible wife and she's going to love it so much. <laughs> or I got to get through this checklist and I can't believe all these people are in my way. And why didn't everybody else do this ahead of time so it would have been easier for me right now because I didn't? My perspective determines whether or not my circumstance is something that is blessing me, that I'm receiving from, or something that's simply making my life harder or worse. Many people in Jesus' day were looking for a Messiah that fit a mold that he didn't fit. And that's why he got crucified. 
Many of them were looking for a, a Messiah that would bring a financial windfall to them. Many of them were looking for a social justice Messiah who would help them fight against whatever cause it was that had offended them. Many of them were looking for a political leader or a military leader who would allow them to overcome the rule of Rome in their life. And Jesus didn't fit any of those molds. And so as a result, they crucified him. When he didn't join their political party, when he didn't represent their social, their social ideology, when he didn't usher in the financial windfall that they were expecting or that they wanted, when he didn't fill their belly every day at every meeting, they ultimately rejected him. It's a farce for us to pretend as if Jesus was simply crucified by the terrible, evil emperor and Roman society. Yes, Rome had a hand to play. The political system certainly had a hand to play. And yes, the gospel, the message of Jesus was counterculture to the rule of Rome. But it was also counterculture to the ruling class in the synagogue. And they participated as well. They participated as well in the rejection of Jesus. And before you and I come to some place of being really judgy about those who are in power in politics or those who are in power in culture and we see ourselves as the victim, it was the crowd who chanted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Everyone was participating in the rejection of Jesus because even though he came with good news, because his news wasn't the news they were looking for, because his news wasn't the news that filled what they wanted and they desired, ultimately they have rejected him. Since the beginning of time, certainly since the beginning of the ministry of Jesus when he came to earth, People have sought to reinterpret Jesus to be God in their image. Let me say that again. People have sought to reinterpret Jesus to be God in their image or God according to their agenda. And when he would not capitulate to their agenda, when he did not bow to their purpose, their desire, they rejected him. When he wouldn't feed the crowd every time the crowd got together and they said, where's more loaves and where's more fishes? Ultimately, the crowd turned their back on him. When the prosperity gospel no longer was able to be cashed in on, the crowd turned on him. When Rome could no longer get out of him what they wanted to get out of him, when they could not use and manipulate him as their political pawn to, to get the people to do what the peop they wanted the people to do, when Rome was done with him, Rome said, okay, let's go ahead and wash our hands and allow him to be killed. When the rulers of the synagogue realized that he was causing a stir and a movement and his miracles were not something that they could explain or something that, that caused their power and their authority to be questioned, the ruling class, the religious ruling class said, this isn't the Messiah that we're looking for. See, here's the deal, friend. When we can't get Jesus to be the Jesus that fits our agenda, what we have a tendency to do is cancel him, is to reject him. Or what many have tried to do is we simply reinterpret him. Our world is full 
of a very intentional process right now of reinterpreting the gospel. Pastor Andy, why do you keep bringing us back to the gospel? Why do you keep preaching the gospel over and over again? It's because the world right now is doing everything it can do to reinterpret the gospel, to either address social, political, financial, or military agendas that have nothing to do with a kingdom that is eternal. There is a tremendous pressure and it has been since Jesus was on the earth there is a tremendous pressure to reinterpret Jesus to cast Jesus as the Messiah that addresses my concern that's why he was crucified you see the gospel is good news because it's about an eternal kingdom that's why Jesus said things like the poor you will have with you always. And it threw his disciples into a conundrum because they didn't understand. Wait a minute. If, we're, if this is about the kingdom, why, shouldn't, why, why don't we sell everything and why don't we give it all to the poor? Jesus discerned their heart and realized that it really wasn't about the poor. And that's why he made a controversial statement like the poor you'll have with you always. Because in this kingdom that is passing away, we will never solve the problem of poverty. Hear me, understand this. At some point, we have to grow up. We're never going to solve every social, political, financial problem that exists in this kingdom because this kingdom will pass away. Are you saying we shouldn't feed the poor? Absolutely, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying there's an extent to which we do not compromise the gospel for the sake of feeding the poor. I am saying we don't compromise the gospel for the sake of not hurting anyone's feelings. I am saying we don't compromise the gospel so we can win an election and be in charge of a country somewhere. I'm saying we don't compromise the gospel so that we can get in bed with Rome. We don't compromise the gospel so that powerful religious leaders like what we have to say. We don't compromise the gospel so that social activists are cool with us and won't cancel us online. We don't compromise the gospel because here's the deal. When we compromise the gospel, it's no longer good news. Just because everyone won't accept it doesn't mean it isn't good news for everyone. If there's anything about the life and ministry of Jesus that we should learn is that even though the news is good for everyone, just not anyone is going to receive it. It's pedestrian, it's cheap, it's plastic for us to measure the kingdom of God by the measurements of success in this kingdom. It's pedestrian for us to measure whether or not the church is being effective by whether or not we have money in this kingdom. Not only is it pedestrian, but it absolutely rejects the history of God's people. 
throughout time and space, much of our time and space has been spent in slavery and abject poverty. And at none of those times were we any less the people of God. But in 2022, we measure whether or not someone is blessed by what car they're driving or what clothes they're wearing or by how much money they have. We say, oh, he's a man of God, and you can tell it by the shoes he's wearing. Oh, he's a man of God because he has this many houses or because he has a helicopter. It's rubbish. It's nowhere in the Bible. It is a reinterpretation of the gospel to preach a gospel that builds a kingdom of flesh. All the while, Jesus allowed his flesh to be broken to build a kingdom that is eternal. Man, that's good stuff. But it's not the good news that everybody wants to hear. We've said, oh, well, if everyone isn't applauding, if everyone isn't clapping, if everyone isn't liking our post, we must be preaching the wrong message. No, the message that Jesus preached led him to a cross. The news is good. Because it's about a kingdom that's eternal. The news is good because the freedom it brings will last. It's not plastic. It's not like those toys that you get for Christmas. And they break the first time that you use them. This week I want us to dive into another story that really illustrates someone who, when Jesus brought the good news to them, really illustrated where many of us find ourselves as to not hearing or receiving the good news that he's bringing. The Bible tells a story about Jesus when he's traveling with his disciples in John chapter 4, and he meets a woman along the way. And there's this really incredible, pivotal interaction that takes place. It's pivotal for the woman, but it's also pivotal in the the season of ministry uh, that Jesus and his disciples were in. And I want, I want to make a statement this morning, and, and I want you to hear this statement because this is the big takeaway I want you to get out of the message today. The inability to hear anything that does not support the internal narrative that creates my reality is the very thing that is keeping me from hope, joy, and peace. Let me say that again because I, I want, I, I didn't ask them to put it on the screen. I want you to hear it because I was afraid if I put it up there, you would see it and then you wouldn't really internal. I want you to hear it this morning. The inability to hear anything that does not support the internal narrative that has created my current reality is the very thing that is keeping me from hope, joy, and peace. Pastor, what do you mean by that? What I mean is for many of us, it is our theology. It is our culture. It is the way we were raised. It is the way we think things have to be that has created in our lives a reality. And because we're so stuck in that reality that when Jesus breaks in with the good news, 
when he breaks in to bring peace and hope and joy, when our theology, when our culture is challenged, instead of allowing that challenge to speak to us and to cre- and create within us a pathway to a new reality, that in that reality we have hope and joy and peace, many of us just hit a brick wall and we're not able to hear. We're like the people who saw Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle and were still a part of the crowd who chanted crucify him. We're like the people who were there when he fed the thousands and they ate, they ate the bread, they ate the meal and were still there and still chanted crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Still went along, along with the mob mentality. When the mob changed and it came time to cancel Jesus, they were a part of it because their worldview, their theology didn't have room for a Messiah that didn't make them rich, a Messiah that didn't solve all of their emotional problems, a Messiah that didn't address the social needs that they thought should be addressed. They, they didn't have room for a Messiah that didn't overcome the rule of Rome. They didn't have room in their life for a Messiah who the synagogue leaders wouldn't receive. There wasn't room in their life for that. And so they couldn't receive what God had for them. John chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 and verse 9 to you. It says this, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again from Galilee. Now remember, we read this last week, Jesus was rejected in his hometown and he left, he had to go somewhere else to do ministry. Now we're reading again where Jesus is being rejected and he's moving on from where he was because he was rejected. He preached the good news. People didn't receive the good news. There were signs, wonders, and miracles. And I know there are so many people, having been someone who grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal, I've heard it my whole life. Oh, if we just had signs, wonders, miracles, everyone would come to believe. No, they wouldn't. It's nonsense. You're, you're, actually, you're actually disagreeing with the Bible and the ministry of Jesus. He did signs, wonders, and miracles, and they crucified him. Signs, wonders, and miracles. Uh, all you spiritualists who think that more prophecies and more signs and ones that are more miracles are going to make everyone believe it's not. It's not. Because the good news that is for everyone isn't going to be received by just anyone. People are going to reject him no matter what he does. And in this case, this is now the second case, where he's preaching the good news, he's doing the stuff, and people still don't believe. He left Judea and departed for Galilee, and he came to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was the sixth hour, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews, in parentheses, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I love when the Bible gives us context and helps us to understand what's happening here. So Jesus, he's tired, he's worn out from the journey, sets down. His disciples have gone into the city to buy food. He's waiting, and uh, a woman comes along, and he says, hey, give me, something, give me something to drink. And she responds to him. And we see this story unfold. It's actually 
It's actually quite incredible. And there's just a few things I want us to pick up from this story this morning because I think if we will understand, if we will understand that for many of us, it is our theology, it is our culture that has caused our ears to be closed to the good news. We can't see all that God has for us. I want us to see some things from this woman's life. First of all, I want us to see defensiveness deafens our ability to hear good news. When Jesus spoke to this woman and he said, hey, um, why don't you give me something to drink? Immediately, her response was to get defensive with him. Now, I, I know none of us in this room are defensive people. None of us ever get defensive. But I'm just sharing this with you to prepare you again for some of your family members you're going to have to deal with over the next month. Okay, so this is... Come on, every one of us in this room, if we're honest, if we're really honest, we can, we can relate to this story. Many of us have thought we had no, there was no way to relate to this story, but if you really think about it, if you really, if you really think about it, all of us can relate to this story because all of us struggle with defensiveness at times. And here's this woman, the Messiah, the king of the world, the creator of all things. Starts a conversation with her, and her immediate response to the conversation is, who do you think you are talking to me? Do you know who I am? You can clearly see that I'm a Samaritan woman. I can clearly see that you're a Jewish man. We're not supposed to be having this conversation. She immediately gets defensive with him. And in her defensiveness, she cuts off the ability to receive what that moment was designed to be all about for her life. I'm wondering, I'm just wondering, how many of us have missed moments where God was bringing joy, peace, provision into our life because our response to a situation rubbed us the wrong way, and we got so defensive that our ears simply shut. I love as you read the story and as it unfolds, the way she wrapped her defensiveness, what she wrapped her defensiveness around, if you, if you really read it and understand it, you're like, oh, okay, well, I kind of see where she's coming from, because she's like, I'm, I'm a woman, I'm a Samaritan woman, you're a Jewish man, you're not supposed to be talking to me. Technically, she was right. Technically, as a righteous Jewish man, he wouldn't have anything to do with her. She had technically caught him in a situation where he was in the wrong and she was in the right. But here's the problem. She was about to miss out on what God had designed for her life in that moment that was also meant for others because she was catching Jesus on a technicality. I love it when we try to catch God on technicalities. One of the things I want to challenge you to do during your daily 20 sometime over the next year is go read in the gospel like all the times when people tried to catch Jesus on technicalities. Even last week, we looked at uh, that passage where, where Jesus had an interaction with Satan and Satan, what did he do? He tried to catch Jesus on technicalities. 
And then if you, and then if you really want to see how this works, when people try to catch people on technicalities to expose them, go back to Genesis chapter 3 and read the first temptation that Satan brought to Adam and Eve and tried to get real technical with Adam and Eve about whether or not they were really going to die or not. There, see, there's something about the heart of someone who tries to get things down into the nitty-gritties and into a place where they get caught up on technicalities that causes a deafness to come over them and the inability to really receive what the heart of the moment is all about. But none of you ever ever do that, right? Defensiveness wrapped in the shiny paper of self-righteousness or in this particular case, this woman, maybe, maybe she was operating out of self-preservation, but whatever may be the case, where her defensiveness was coming from, whether it be self-righteousness or self-preservation because she had been subjugated to abuse in other places or times, regardless, regardless, that self-righteousness in that interaction with Jesus was bringing her to a place where she couldn't hear good news. I wonder how many times that in my own religious self-righteousness or my own self-rightness of my interaction with my boss or my interaction with my spouse or my interaction with my parent has gotten me into a place where the conversation, the moment was meant to be a blessing. It was meant to be good news. It was meant to bring hope and joy and peace into my life, but I couldn't receive it because my ears were closed. This woman try to drag Jesus into a conversation that kept her from being able to hear what he was trying to say to her, her racism toward him as a Jewish man. And you may say, well, pastor, she was justified because the Jews had mistreated the Samaritans. The point was not whether or not she was justified or not. The point is that her racism was going to keep her from receiving living water. Let me make this plain this morning. There are some of us in this room that have been put through things, and as a result, it's stuff has been written on our heart, and we have decided from a place of self-protection that I will never allow myself to be treated that way again. I will never allow myself to hear those words again. I will never be put through that again. And so as a result, we've built walls around our lives that might as well be stoppers in our ears, and there's people that God has put in our lives to bring good news, to bring joy and hope and peace, and we can't receive it. Because there's latent sexism or latent racism or latent protectionism inside of us. Is this just too close to where we're living? I can't, I can't receive from him because he's the wrong color. I can't receive from her because I was treated this way by a woman boss in the past. And so, so yeah, I, I can't get anywhere at my job. I can't get a promotion. I don't understand. But... I'll keep blaming on the fact that she's a woman boss because I've had a woman boss in the past treat me this way. Hello? But you don't understand this Samaritan woman, you know, obviously if you look at her history, clearly she had been through trauma in her life and, and clearly her trauma was real. Yes, her trauma was real, but in this moment, in this moment, Jesus had brought good news. And if she couldn't get past her trauma in that moment, she wouldn't receive living water. Here's the challenge to some of us in this room this morning. Don't let your trauma 
And don't let your trauma response keep you from receiving good news. Does this lessen my trauma? No, absolutely not. At no point did Jesus lessen what this woman had been through. In fact, the reason that he was there was to speak to her in spite of and through her trauma. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's in no way that he's lessening her trauma. He, in fact, acknowledged her trauma in speaking to her and bringing life to her. That's not what I'm saying this morning. But some of us have allowed in 2022 our trauma to define us and to close our ears. And so as a result, we're not receiving, we're not living in joy and hope and peace. It's not good news to us. And the Messiah, the Messiah isn't working his full work in our lives because we've set these barriers around him, these boundaries around him, and we've said it only can operate this way. She became defensive, and here's the thing. Defensiveness deafens our ability to hear. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care if you're justified or you're not justified. I know this because it's true about me. When I am defensive, I stop listening. When I am defensive, I stop receiving. One of the, one of the things that is a part of my life that I, that I do outside of just being the pastor of North Place is I work with leaders and I work in leader development. And when I, when I meet a leader and when I deal with a leader and in my conversation, I can see that they're defensive. I know right there, we're not going any further. Until that defensiveness is dealt with, they're not going any further. And that defensiveness could be there because of insecurity. It can be there because of fear. It can be there because of brokenness. It could be there because of abuse. But they will never move beyond their defensiveness. Their leadership will not grow beyond their defensiveness. And some of us in this room, we're stuck in the same place in our career that we were a year ago and five years before that. And it's because we walk in every day defensive. Some of us in our walk with Jesus are where we were five years ago, and it's because we walk in every day defensive. This woman would not have received from Jesus because she had a case to make, and you may have a case to make, and your case may be real, but here's the thing, friend, at some point, you got to understand that he's not arguing a case based on the reality of this kingdom, that his message is transcendent, that his message is transcendent. And the joy and the hope and the peace that he brings, the healing that he brings, breaks all the rules of this kingdom. Defensiveness amplifies irrelevant frequencies to distract from what matters. That's what it does. It plugs my ears and it amplifies things that really, aren't in, uh, that really don't matter. As Jesus is having this interaction with this woman, she's, he's like, oh, let me give you living water. Or, yeah, I want this living water. Uh, tell me where to worship my, your fault. So she gets back into our defensiveness. So it seems like there's breakthrough, and then she goes back. And that's what happens with defensive people, right? You have a little bit of breakthrough, and then they revert right back to where they were before. Have you ever tried to work with somebody? Yeah, I know all of you are making disciples, because that's what we do. All Christians make disciples, because we're really not Christians unless we're making disciples. Have you ever been discipling somebody, and you have a breakthrough? and then it seems like they go right back to where they were before. None of you do that. The other people you're discipling do that, right? And you're like, oh, I can't believe that. That's the exact thing happened in this conversation because getting over your trauma is a process. 
And getting through, through those things that have hurt you and that have caused you to be defensive is a process. But I love Jesus' grace and is patient with her. He doesn't just run away and say, oh, forget it. You, you're not getting the point. No, he just keeps talking to her. He keeps working with her and allowing her time and space. See, this is what a person who makes disciples do. Just because somebody messes up or becomes offensive again, they don't just run away from them or give up on them. They just keep processing with them. That's what we do when we make disciples. We just keep processing with them. So he just keeps processing with her. And she says, oh, but your forefathers say you worship on that mountain. My, where, where am I supposed to worship? Where do I get this water? What am I supposed to do? Defensiveness causes us to amplify details or frequencies or things that are just not significant and important. So what this teaches me is that when I find myself fixating on things, when I find myself fixating on things that aren't eternal, that aren't about the kingdom eternal, then I know that I'm missing the point. See, I'm trying to help us because there's some of us who are going into 2023 and we really want our job to be different in 2023. We, we really want our business to grow in 2020. We want our marriage to be different in 2023. For some of us who really want joy, hope, and peace, we want the gospel to really do what it promises it's going to do in our life. And, and the way that's going to happen is we become people who are not defensive with our ears closed, people who are fixated on little things that are going to do nothing more than distract us from joy, hope, and peace. Things that are going to create conflict, things that are going to stir up bitterness inside of me, things that are going to stir up inside of me, paths that are not leading me to all that God has for me, but instead it's just going to keep dragging up, keep dragging up old battles, keep dragging up old fights. How many times have you forgived your spouse and then a week later brought it up again? How many times have you sat down with your boss and they, they took you through the performance review and you dealt with the problem and then you went in the next week and that same irritating person still irritated you and instead of moving on, you just couldn't get past it? Hello? I, I don't see anybody like raising their hand. All the amens have gotten really quiet. Like, when I'm defensive, I just start amplifying. You know what I do? I start amplifying things that reinforce my case. I start reinforcing what it is that made me right. I start reinforcing why it is that, that I can't receive from you. I start amplifying the things that, ooh, this is good deep theology. I start amplifying the things that separate relationship instead of the things that reconcile relationship. So this is what, this is what I need to look for in 2023. What are, the, what are the things in my life that I'm amplifying that's breaking relationship with people who are meant to bring joy, hope, and peace into my life? What are the old battles? What are the old fights? What are the details? What are the nuances? What are the things that I'm getting hung up on that I'm making a fight out of that if I would, if I could just, if I could just let it go, if I could just accept that maybe I don't get an answer to this question. I just don't know why he's that way. 
if he just wouldn't be that way. Dear, you may, he, you may never know why he's that way. Sir, you may not ever know why she does what she does. Is your marriage going to be hell forever because you can't figure it out? Or are you going to get over it? That's the way she likes the biryani. Eat it. Some of us just have to decide, I want joy, hope, and peace more than I want to be right. Some of us have to decide, I want to bring joy, hope, and peace into the world more than I need, more than I need everybody to know how smart I am. I want to be I want to be an advocate of joy, hope, and peace and transformation on the earth more than I want my political party to win. More than I need everybody to know what I know. More than I'm going to get caught up on amplifying things that are just going to stir up dissension and stir up. Pastor, are you, sh- are you saying that we, that we, we shouldn't do confrontation? And No, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is when I'm operating from a place of defensiveness, I'm not talking about throwing accountability out the window. Accountability needs to be there, but there's a sense in, when I, in which I'm just being defensive and I'm operating. It's not about resolving the problem at all because I know the problem's never going to be resolved. It's about me just keeping the fight going. It's, just, it's about me keeping the drama going because I'm addicted to the drama. I'm addicted to the struggle. The Romans are addicted. The Romans are addicted to the power imbalance between the leaders of the synagogue. And they're working together with that power imbalance between the Roman leaders and the rulers of the synagogue so that the poor stay poor. And so they're addicted to this drama. They're never going to answer the question. Rome and the church are never going to get along. They don't, it's not in their best interest to get along. And the people who manipulate the people, get this, the people who manipulate the people into chanting, give us more food, give us more food, give us more food, no matter how much food they get, are always going to be there stirring up another issue. Because it's in their best interest, because it's in the best interest of Rome, it's in the best interest of the shapers of culture, and it's in the best interest of the people who manipulate the crowd to keep the fight going. The people who follow Jesus are people who say, I'm not going to fight over this kingdom because this kingdom's going to pass away. I'm not going to be fooled into fighting battles that don't matter anyways. Defensive, defensiveness amplifies irrelevant frequencies. So what's irrelevant and what's relevant? Let me say this a different way. When I'm, when I'm defensive, I'm argumentative. And when I'm argumentative, I exaggerate and fixate on unnecessary things so I don't have to deal with the real issues. The real issue, the real issue for this woman is that she had experienced tremendous loss in her life, relationship after relationship after relationship had been broken, and Jesus was there to heal her. That was the real issue. He was there to bring life to someone who desperately needed it. He was there to bring reconciliation 
to someone who desperately needed it. And yet there was so much going on that was all set up to continue the distraction. I believe with all of my heart that our world is obsessed with and completely and totally, completely and totally caught in a cycle of distraction. And as a result of that cycle of distraction, we will not receive the good news that Jesus is bringing to us. I believe that everything in this world conspires to keep you and I dialed to level 10, to where we are distracted, to where we are continually stirred up. Pastor, do you believe in some big conspiracy theory? Maybe, but that's not what I'm talking about. I may have a tinfoil hat or not, but I'm talking about the enemy of our soul. The enemy of our soul uses Rome where, whether or not Rome knows it. The enemy of our soul uses cultural shapers whether they know it or not, whether they're in on it or not. The enemy of our soul is conspiring with every agency and entity on this planet to keep you and I continually dialed to a level 10. To where we're doing everything we can to escape the tension of the moment and never dealing with the fact that there is a Messiah in front of us who says, I'm here to bring relief to what is really hurting. I'm here to speak to that hole in your soul. I'm here to speak to that place in you that longs for water that will never come from this earth. The good news is that there is relief for those most guarded places in my life. That woman wanted to get Jesus caught up in all kinds of arguments so she didn't have to deal with what was really hurting her. In this room, there are many of us who have stuff that hurt us deeply. And we're chasing agendas and battles and wealth and we're chasing all kinds of stuff to keep us distracted. Some of us keep ourselves so busy, so dialed to level 10, And then because of the system, before we go to bed at night, we take our bills, pills or we empty our bottles to numb our souls so that we can go to sleep and never have to deal with the hurt that's inside of us. Hello? And the whole system is there. The whole system is there to produce this in us, this distraction, this tension. John chapter 4, verses 28 and 29. So the woman left her water jar and she went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? She said, Let's, here's the thing. I found the one who moves through the distractions. I found the one who speaks to the place in my soul 